The question of the day, are vampires real? The answer may shock you. Let's jump right into my interview with author Frank Stanfield. Here we go. Welcome back to the program. I'm Fred Jones, and you're listening to It's All Right with Fred Jones. So today's guest is Frank Stanville, news correspondent, author, and so much more. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have Frank on the show is that, um, for one, you've worked with law enforcement for a lot of years, and you've seen the trauma that they've had to deal with, and now your new book talks just about that. So Frank's new book is Cold-Blooded, a true crime story of a murderous teenage vampire cult. So Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So if you would, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your your background. Okay, well, I've been a a newspaper guy for 45 years. Um, So I've worked for different papers. Um, when this case came up in 1996, I was working for the Orlando Sentinel and had worked for a lot of years. Uh, thought I'd seen it all, but until this case comes up. So, um, you, you hear about this, and let's get right into Lake County, Florida. So, I have one listener in Canada, so <laughs> I want them to understand this, but Lake County in 1996 and Central Florida as a whole was a place that you can come and you can retire, you can bring your family. Um, how did this shake things up? Well, Lake County, um, back in the, before the early eighties, uh, was a citrus capital. And I mean, they would place was just covered with uh, orange trees. And so in the early eighties, they had a really terrible freeze and a lot of trees uh, were destroyed and basically killed off the industry. Well, then it became, uh, gradually became like a sort of a, um, bedroom community for Orlando. Um, and like you say, a lot of retirees, it, a nice place to raise your family. Um, so in the years since then, that was over 23 years ago, um, the population has just exploded. It's almost not really quite, but it's, it's almost doubled. Um, it's just booming. So things have changed quite a bit. And I think now, you know, this county, um, it's somewhere around 350,000 people, so it has grown. But um, you've covered a lot of stories. So what was about this particular story that you continue to follow for decades and also prompt you to write a book on it? Well, this was uh, such an unusual case. It was a horrible, brutal murder, for one thing. Um, these two people were minding their own business. They had two teenage daughters and they were bludgeoned to death um, by this uh, friend of their youngest daughter. So the crime scene itself was awful. And then the fact that these kids were in this vampire cult and they were drinking each other's blood and the cult leader was only 16. He was like uh, into worshiping the devil and all kinds of stuff. And so it just obviously just really weird. So it became like an international story. Um, And so it got everybody's attention. Over the years, um, because it's so odd, I've been on, I've been asked to be on several true crime shows like Discovery ID and um, Oxygen and some others. 
to talk about this case because uh, the interest still is continues. Right. Is it safe to say, you know, just from your perspective, that Lake County, um, up to that point, had never seen anything like that before? Nothing quite like this. I mean, um, Lake County is is like I say, it's small. It's um, it's about this Eustis, Florida, where this crime happened, is about 45 miles from Orlando, from Disney World. Um, and Orlando obviously has a lot more crime, but for some reason, Lake County has had more than its share of really weird um, and some horrific crimes. So uh, even uh, my fellow reporters in Orlando would call me up and say, what in the heck is going on with Lake County? It's just... Uh, it's just odd, you know. Um, and of course, one of the worst cases I covered was a young widow who was um, carjacked, and her her children were murdered, and um, and that was just another just a horrific case. So that just gives you an example. And that in itself, too, you know, I know we're here to talk about this new book of yours. But what was the, the name of that book? Unbroken: The Dorothy Lewis Story. And then uh, a few years later, I wrote another book called Vampires, Gators, and Wackos <laughs> um, because it's just full of these crazy stories. So uh, again, Lake County is, is small, uh, but it's, I don't know what it is, but it's, we've had more than our share. So your book probably could have been named a Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and, and this is... Um, the book, obvious, you know, just reading through it myself, um, was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak. Um, what were some of the challenges that, that you came across when writing this book? Well, one of the things, uh, I decided to make this the most comprehensive uh, story about this case. So it involved looking at all the court transcripts, all the newspaper clippings, all and just all the records, everything I could get my hands on. And because Rod Farrell was a cult leader, a charismatic kind of guy, and this cult was such a, a weird thing, um, one of the defense attorneys early on says, well, this is not the Charles Manson case. Well, yes and no, there were a lot of similarities. So I talk about other cults, including Manson. I talk about, and there was, the, when this happened, the big pop culture thing was these Anne Rice books like Interview with a Vampire and all that. So I talk about the influence of pop culture, which of course still has a major impact on kids today. Wow, no, that's good to know. Um, you know, you, you think about it and, and doing your research, we're talking about 1996 and up to 2021 today. So you've had an opportunity as, as brought in the book, the interview, some of the players in this, what are some of the differences you've seen as far as 1996 and here they are as adults who, you know, one of the guys um, in there, he had never seen a cell phone before a law enforcement officer had one in the jail. Um, so what are some of the things that you've seen as far as personality traits or, or something you can talk on? Well, it's, it's um, these kids, okay, Rod Farrell was 16, uh, The another kid, his name was Howard Scott Anderson. He was 17, I believe it was, when he was arrested. So yes, he's he was he's been in prison his whole life. So he's never uh, never well. I think he was married in quotes, you know, in one of those prison things. But he never had any 
actual marriage involved in it. So he's never been married. He's never owned a car. I mean, he's never owned his own car. He's never owned a house. He's never paid any bills. He's, you know, he's just spent his entire life in prison, his entire life. And so, and then you got the two girls uh, that were involved. One of them was 19 when this happened and the other one was like 16. So they never had a normal life. Now those two girls are out because they didn't go into the house. But, um, and of course the interesting thing too is, um, what, when this happened, um, let me back up a little bit and explain how this happened. Um, this couple, Richard Windor and, um, Ruth Queen, um, they had two daughters, Jennifer, who was 17. She was a popular cheerleader at the local high school, Eustis high school. And, um, she comes home, uh, and she's coming in a little bit late. She had a part-time job, but she stopped to see her boyfriend. So she's sneaking into the house because she's afraid she's going to get in trouble. And um, and then she discovers that her parents are just brutally beaten to death with a crowbar. And so she calls 911 and says, uh, my parents have been murdered. Send two ambulances. And they said, well, why? how do you think they're murdered? She says, well, there's blood everywhere. And then she says, my sister's missing. She's only 15 and she's missing. So this is a, this becomes a big deal. Well, was she, was Heather a part of this? Was she kidnapped? Is she a victim somehow? Or did she help plan this thing against her parents? Because it turns out she was involved in this vampire cult too. And so to this day, people are still scratching their head and wondering what was her role in this thing because she was never charged. Now, she was never charged by a grand jury, that is. So people are still uh, scratching their head on that one. Well, one of the challenges, of course, I get, I'm trying to talk to everybody I can. And, um, and, and understandably, um, some of the family, uh, victims' families, did not want to talk. Some people were willing to talk. But um, as far as Heather goes, she's a grown woman now, has kids. She's an artist, successful artist, I guess, and a very talented artist. And I, and I talked with her immediately after the trial. But um, so that's an interesting development to see this kid who used to wear um, a Barbie doll on, attached to a noose on the back of her backpack and weird clothes and all kinds of stuff like that so to see her you know change did she change entirely if I've, you do some research and go onto her facebook page and she says well i'm still not a happy sunshine girl you know and in one of her movies favorite movies is dracula so oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> ironic yeah yeah uh so um wow so, you know, I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that you brought in the book is about how the laws change as far as juveniles and sentencing guidelines uh, when it comes to murder. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, the state decided they wanted the death penalty for Rod Farrell, who, like I said, was only 16 when this happened. So um, that would have made him the youngest uh, inmate on death row. So uh, that was one change. He just, the law at that time was just, he just barely got under the, um, the, the wire for that. 
uh, and then uh, he got convicted uh, of the and uh, sentenced to death, and the Florida Supreme Court decided no, he's too young, so let's take him off of uh, death row. But then over the years, the U.S. Supreme Court, which uh, I know your listeners are very familiar with this concept. The U.S. Supreme Court keeps moving the goal line, so um, they kept. They decided in 2012 in a case called Miller versus Alabama that um, you can't sentence, you can't automatically sentence a juvenile to life in prison, even though that's what the law called for for first degree murder, uh, premeditated murder in Florida. So, um, so that became an issue because now all of a sudden you've got to give these people uh, a resentencing hearing uh, because the court says a juvenile is still developing. His brain is still developing. Your brain apparently is keeps developing until you're 25 or in the case of a journalist, never. Developing. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so, so then he gets a resentencing hearing. So him and a bunch of other kids uh, that were kids. And so that's still, that process is still going on. So that's, that's another interesting development. Oh, thank you. So how would you describe as far as, you know, your book, who would be your audience? Who do you think your audience is? Those who like mystery, who like true crime, what would you say? Well, um, definitely true crime. And I, this would be my third book. And I didn't really know this, you know, I should have known it, but um, the greatest audience for true crime are women. So um, just like the greatest audience for war books are men. Right. And I think it has something to do with um, how would I, how would I survive? How would I react if this kind of thing happened around me? I think that's probably what it was, but yeah, they're, they're fascinating. So there's that. There's also the cult aspect of it. Um, there's also an element in this book um, that Christians call spiritual warfare. Um, and by that, I mean um, that Pharaoh was worshiping the devil, conjuring up demons. Um, he liked this vampire idea because vampires can basically do whatever they feel like doing. Wow. Um, so he, there's that. And then there was another kid that was supposed, there was a friend of Heather's that was supposed to leave with this, this bunch. They were going to run away to New Orleans. That was the plan. Well, she had just joined a church youth group. So she was not really 100% on board with this whole thing. Right. And, um, and her mother and dad were, were talking to her, said, well, this is not our belief system, this vampire thing. This is not us. This is not good. So they were, I think, trying to influence her, you know, that way. And so did she miss her ride just coincidentally or were there other things going on here? It kind of makes you wonder. Um, So there's that aspect of it. Then, of course, there's a psychological component, which is you've got a whole platoon of uh, psychiatrists uh, and psychologists trying to decide you know, what his psychological state is. So that's very interesting. You got the pop culture aspect and you got uh, Charles Manson. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a um, different aspects depending on what you're looking for, but definitely true crime for, for sure.
Well, Frank, I appreciate you finding the time to come sit with me. The book is called Cold-Blooded, a true crime story of a murderous teenage vampire cult. And he is Frank Stanfield. Frank, what can they find this book? They can find it on Amazon. They can find it on Wild Blue Press. And uh, I have a website, which is frankestanfield.com. There should be some links on there that you can get to the book that way, too. All right. Well, Frank, once again, thank you for being here. And uh, looking forward to, I'm about halfway through, so I'm looking forward to continuing to read the book. It is a great read, folks. Go out and get your copy. Thanks, Frank. Thank you.